0: Hello and welcome to the My Dietitian Journey podcast. My name is Adam, your co-host and producer with me, of course, Felicia Peraza of Peraza Nutrition and My Dietitian Journey. We're going to get into some stuff for prospective dietitians, new folks to private practice. What are we getting into today?
1: We're going to talk about how to define your own success in private practice, what that actually looks like, and do you actually need to define your success?
0: Wow, super philosophical. Can't Uh wait to dig into the meat of this discussion. What is the definition of success?
1: According to Merriam-Webster, if that's how you say it. um, So this is the degree or measure of succeeding. So favorable or desired outcome would be, quote unquote, success. Um, The dictionary says the favorable or prosperous prosperous termination of attempts or endeavors. So basically, you accomplish your goals. That's... Kind of what, what exactly
0: Favorable is. or desired outcome. The attainment of wealth. All right. That other thing you said, I had no idea we were talking about. Also, I sneezed. So I was a little out of it there for a sec. <laughs> okay. So how does this relate to private practice?
1: So finding out what your success is. Well, it, it's important to define your success. And um, we'll talk about why that's important. But um, success is, is really subjective. Um, and you need to really kind of define it for yourself and not necessarily look to someone else's definition of it because when you think about what your success is going to be, it's going to give you like a sense of direction and um, what you want to do, not just in your practice, but even for like jobs and career, figuring out what you want to do. So you're defining what that success is actually going to look like. So
0: so you need to figure out what success is for you and it's it's relative to, to what you're doing. Yeah. Or like who, you know, It's I don't think it's useful to compare yourself to someone who's like, five or 10 years down the line and then yeah of course you're not going to be successful if that's your measurement of success yeah yeah just like anything else if you're learning how to draw you're comparing yourself to picasso or something that's not useful
1: exactly so it's you know figuring out that success is going to look different for everybody but also your success in what that looks like to you is going to change it's something that's ongoing so you might have like Different markers along the way as to what you think of as being like accomplishments and success. But you know, what that really looks like is, is, is a process, um, and something more long-term.
0: So how do you tie that into dietetics or your practice personally then?
1: So for me, when I first started my practice, um, I kind of, my success was having a private practice, which was, you know, a good thing to have, but then
0: Baby steps.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but it was also once I had the practice, like I quit my full time job and I went full time with my practice. I'm like, now what? <laughs> you know, like what's what's next? What does success look like in private practice? And so I kind of had some benchmarks along the way, as in like you know starting the practice and then leaving my full time job. But I kind of felt like I was lost the first couple months, and I, I think I mentioned this before, but I quit my job in December, and so um, I didn't really have a ton of stuff going on in December because if you,
0: you quit your job in December of like 2014 or whatever it was. Yeah. 2016. You just, it sounded like you were talking about last December you quit.
1: No, not last December, but, um, I I was thinking like time frame wise, like December, you know,
0: the time of year you quit your job, it was December. It was a slow time for you personally. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes. Yeah. So when I like left my full-time job and had my private practice practice and had the success, it was almost like what does this actually look like? How many clients, you know, per week to be, you know, a full-time private practice dietitian? And, you know, should I be doing other things? And then you start to get into this like comparison of, you know, what other people are doing. So, um, so yeah, my successes changed a lot over the years. Um, and my original success was just having the practice. And that didn't really give me much direction, which is why We're going to talk about kind of figuring out what your success is because I just kind of felt lost for the first couple months as to like, you know, I was doing the thing in terms of like seeing clients and and doing stuff, but I didn't really have like a direction that I was going in. I was just like, I had a practice.
0: Okay. Success is relative to what you're doing. Yes. It's personal and to compare yourself to other people isn't useful. Mm Mm-hmm. If you don't have goals set up that you can then achieve, realistic goals, you won't feel like you're successful in your practice. Yeah. When you first started, you didn't you had no idea what you were doing. But like the word success wasn't really applicable at that point. I mean like you probably felt like you successfully did something when you created your website and got your EIN and that sort of stuff but you didn't feel like you were a successful private practice dietitian at that point. Yeah. I imagine there was a turning point for you where you were still working at your job, but you also started your practice and had some clients, like after your first few clients, after you actually saw reimbursement checks and like got paid. Yeah. I imagine that's when things started to click for you and you started to feel like you were edging on to becoming a successful dietitian.
1: Yeah, like when I first no, private
0: practice dietitian.
1: Yeah, when I first like submitted my first insurance claim and got paid. You know, when I when I had my first client that was um an insurance client, you know, someone who found me in the directory or you know, a first referral. So those kinds of like first things, you know, that was a lot of what those like kind of success like benchmarks were in a way, um where they were small little ones. Um I mean, they were kind of they were big at the time. <laughs> um, saying they're small now, but they're not small. Um but all of those things along the way of like these little successes, but then it started to make sense as to like what success meant to me being in private practice. And that's, you know, changed over the years as to like these being able to file a claim and then being able to like get paid from that claim. Um, but now it's, it's changed to these kind of little mini accomplishments and kind of like goalposts in a way Um you know, where I still have kind of like big success that I want to focus on in my practice, but there's a lot smaller like success points along the way that, you know, I think about when I have, you know, a certain number of clients or, you know, we get new, um, I get like a new coaching client or, you know, for private practice and I get, you know, a a new like webinar contract or things like that, like those kinds of little successes along the way. Um, but it's changed quite a bit from when I first started, which is the whole point is that success is going to be this process and it's going to look different, you know, before you're in private practice, once you're in private practice, and then even as you like continue to grow and change, um, that'll look a lot different. So
0: did you have some quotes from some other dietitians that you wanted to get into for this or what it looks like from other perspective?
1: Yeah. So um, I posted in a couple of dietitian Facebook groups um, asking what others thought about with success, success and what that means to them. And so um, there's three dietitians that I'll link into the description uh, with their websites and bylines. Um, So the first comes from Amy Hager. um, And she says, I feel like success is to be in control of your own destiny and choose the career path that makes you happy and celebrates your worth. Um, Another one, Leonilla. Campos. Um, Success is subjective. Success to me is being able to run my private practice efficiently without compromising precious time being a mom and wife. This means delegating tasks such as social media content creation, billing and marketing to a team that can do them better than me, which is something we've talked about (laughs) a couple of times, being able to kind of hire out for things. And then the last is Kelly Wagner. Um, To me, success is a multi-pronged, but stems around achieving quality of life. By that, I mean you authentically help your clients slash patients reach their goals and attain the quality of life they desire. Additionally, you as the practitioner achieve the quality of life you want in terms of fulfillment from your work and being able to provide both time and resources from your family. So you can see or hear a lot of these kind of tie back to what people value about, um, you know, what people value, you know, family, time, Uh, those kinds of things as to how success is being defined. But again, it's subjective and it's going to look differently for everybody.
0: Okay, so um, those are all very different perspectives. Is there a way that you suggest people determine how they define success for themselves?
1: Yes. So, you know, being able to determine your own success on your own terms, you know, defining on your own terms, um, so asking yourself what actually success means to you um, is really key. So what do you think of when you hear the word success? You know, what What do you vision envision? envision? Um, you know, what personal accomplishments do you want to achieve? I mean, like I mentioned, when I first started my practice, I wanted a private practice. And then I had my private practice and I created a website. I created this. So those kinds of things, like having those like benchmarks um, along the way. So what personal accomplishment do you want to achieve? What do you value? Um, You know, the dietitians that I highlighted here, they had mentioned a lot about family and time. um, And kind of like a work-life balance was a little bit of a theme too. So kind of thinking of this like big vision as to, and it being more of like a living vision too, um, because it's likely going to change as you start your practice, grow your practice, and then maybe niche down a little bit too. and sometimes you know timing isn't necessarily right for some things, um, and that could be your goal too, is to maybe have a practice in the future. But along the way, you know, success for you is going to be you know maintaining a client load of you know two clients a week. It doesn't have to be very big um, numbers. Um, but kind of having this big vision is is kind of where you want to start, and then planning and strategizing from there, so setting these kind of smaller more like process goals, getting specific about those goals, and then continuing to really define what success is going to look like for you. Because again, success isn't just something that you just accomplish and that's that's it. Um, which again was kind of the mistake in how I was thinking about like having a private practice. Like I have one now. What um, you know, and and so it's again a process um, that you're going to be changing along the way. And again, kind of thinking of it as something living. So having that big vision, really planning and strategizing what those goals might look like, and then really continuing to, you know, change and think about what success really looks like for you.
0: I think all of this is relative to where you are with what you're doing. I don't know if this is useful to even think about at all in terms of a private practice and what you're doing, like quote unquote success. I mean, if you, if you approach your business with a growth mindset, you're never successful in the sense that, like, you're done. Yeah. I mean, I think this applies specifically to lots of little things, and it doesn't feel useful to really label anything in an overarching way. I mean, if you have X amount of clients, are you successful now? If you make X amount of money per month, are you successful now?
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's like a moving target then.
0: (laughs) Well, but isn't this, isn't that the case for just everything? I mean, if you integrate your practice into your life in a way that it doesn't interfere with other things that you're doing and it allows you to do what you want, Mm -hmm. then you're successful. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's...
0: But that's very personal.
1: It is very personal. And that's, you know, that's one of the big issues with, you know, with starting a practice is, you know, you might not know, like, how to start. What does that actually look like? What does the day-to-day operations look like And you kind of start thinking about like, okay, well, what are other people doing, you know, as to how you might then think about your own success in private practice. But then you end up in these places where you're like, well, should I be making a certain amount of money? And should I be seeing a certain number of clients? And then you start to kind of chase what other people are doing, and what they've determined maybe as their success. And it doesn't necessarily relate to maybe what you want. And then again, you're you're kind of chasing like numbers, you know, number of clients, how much money and all that when In reality, you might have wanted a private practice so you can have more time with your family. And that's not necessarily something that, you know, when you think about numbers, it it doesn't always, I don't know, mesh together in a way.
0: I think you have to think about why you're doing this. What's the point? If you achieve that goal, whatever that goal is, then you win. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to have a day job because you don't want to have an employer, and you don't want to answer to anybody, and that's why you're starting your private practice, and you're able to make a full-time income with your practice, you win. Mm-hmm. If some other person has more clients than you or makes more money per year, you're not a loser because you don't earn as much as they do or live up to their standards. You establish your own standards. Like, uh, who who was the one that said that they wanted to balance with their family? Uh, the One of the other dietitians that we just mentioned, Um, Uh, Kelly I think there was There was two of them That mentioned Yeah um, Kelly and
1: Leonella
0: Yeah they both mentioned Their family And being able to care For their family And this allowing them To do that Maybe they don't have As many clients As as you do Or another dietitian does Or maybe they have more But I mean It just doesn't mean anything Because what you're doing Is so individualistic That no one can tell you You're not successful If you're doing What you want to do And you feel good about it That's really all There is to this Yeah, And it's a trap to compare yourself to other people. That goes with everything you're doing because you haven't seen the work that they've put in to achieve what they have. And if you haven't done that work, then obviously you're you're not entitled to what they have. That just goes with literally anything. But for your private practice, if you have less clients than you want, it's because you haven't put in the time or the effort to get more clients. Yeah but if you have as many as you want then you're then you're good and you feel good about it and there's no there's no need to compare yourself to anyone else for any of this stuff
1: no i mean like comparisons you know could be a positive thing you know it could be something where you know you might not realize that you could do these things like we were we were kind of talking about that today in terms of like you know you might not know what's available like that there's these different contracts you might be able to have or different partnerships you could build or you know different kinds of clients you might be able to work with so in a way you know a comparison could be positive but most of the time it's it's Not necessarily.
0: (laughs) I wouldn't call that a comparison as much as a reference point.
1: A reference point. Or like you're
0: informing yourself on the possibilities. Yeah. So like, you know, if you say, just for example, you, Felicia, have a contract with a big company to be their dietitian on staff, and you're a contract employee of this big company, and it's a source of like, you know, 30% of your clients, and I am another dietitian, and I don't have that, and I see that you have that, it would be... It would not be useful for me to feel like a failure because I don't have that. But if I didn't know that was a possibility and then I meet you and see that that's what you're doing and I am informed of that possibility, that's something else entirely. Mm -hmm. If you're in the position of still learning about this business and you're seeing what's possible and, and you're gaining a reference point for what you could do based on what other people are doing, that's not really comparing yourself to what they are. That's observing their situation and and like gleaning knowledge from it or getting more information. Yeah. That's more of an information gathering process than a comparison, I would think.
1: But I think even just labeling it as that, you know, this is information and a reference because I think it's easy to fall into the comparison when you learn about those things. Um, You know, to go from, wow, they have all this, they have contracts, they have this and that, and I have one client. It's easy to kind of, not necessarily use that as something as motivating and a reference point, but to use it as a, oh, I don't have, I'm not there yet. I'm not working hard enough. And then it's easy to kind of fall into a comparison trap. But if you kind of reframe how you think about it to be more of, you know, it's a reference point. Here's what's possible. Here's things I could do, you know, and again, coming back to what you're defining as success, but...
0: Did you define the term comparison trap? Uh, Is that an actual term, or are you just are you marrying those two words?
1: No, so there's um there's what's called social comparison theory. Um,
0: Is this like a psychologist's life work, where they have a book on it or something? Is this a real thing? Or?
1: Yeah, it was proposed back in 1954. I don't know how to say his name. We'll put it in the description, but
0: Leon Festinger.
1: Festinger, um, he said that people have an innate drive to evaluate themselves, often in comparison to others. That um, they determine their own social and personal worth based on how they stack up against other people, basically.
0: Well, that goes back to evolutionary biology and tribal living. I mean, that's a very normal human behavior.
1: Well, it is, and that's like a lot of what I was reading in this this article. Was, um, you know, we have this kind of like fundamental, you know, desire to evaluate opinions and abilities, but then we have again the danger of that comparison is then. It can influence our motivation, our attitude. And then that, um, I found a quote. This was like referenced so much. Teddy Roosevelt, the 26th president of the United States. Comparison is the thief of joy. Um, and that's a lot of when you like look at comparison trap and Google that, you'll see actually that quote come up quite a bit. Um, that this trap is really setting you up for failure from the start. Um, and that you're getting trapped into comparing yourself to others.
0: See, a lot of this stuff for me just ties into the the fact that as human beings, we're not really equipped to live in the society we live in mentally. Like, if if you go back to the majority of human beings' existence on Earth, you know, we've theorized we've been alive as homo sapiens on Earth for like a quarter million years. Only in recent history have we had societal norms that allow us to broadcast things on the Internet Know hundreds or thousands of people personally, see and meet this many people, travel as far as we can. I mean, we're so not like it. It takes tens of thousands of years for evolution to change your brain in a way that really conforms to the way you are living. We're we're still programmed to some degree, like in our brains, to exist in a world where we know one hundred and fifty people and we interact with those same one hundred and fifty people for our entire lives. That's our tribe. We, you know, you, at the majority of, of human existence, you can only go as far as your feet could take you. And you wouldn't separate yourself from your, from your, your group, your tribe, because you wouldn't survive on your own. Mm-hmm. So having such a, 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 a serious reliance on other people's approval socially really tied into your personal well-being, how you felt about yourself. And if you weren't doing as good as 10 of your peers back then, you could be seen as a weak link in the chain. You could not have um, reproductive success. It could be the end of your genetic line. It could mean uh, death if you were if you were abandoned. There were very serious social repercussions to not living up to your peers and not having this, not living up to the standards that everyone else has established. Now we know all these people through parasocial relationships you see everyone on youtube facebook instagram twitter you have all this exposure to all these people that you would have never had in a million years before It would just never have happened Mm -hmm. and now we have this unfortunate situation where there's a lot of good that comes from it you can learn immense knowledge the the whole wealth of human knowledge is available to you on the internet one in one form or another but you also have access to all these people who you would have never met 50 or 100 years ago, especially not 1000 years ago, yeah. that you would not have this basis for a comparison to begin with. You would only have the people around you to know how well you were doing. it's dangerous to have access to the imagery and lifestyle of millionaires and then, you know, celebrities and compare yourself to them, you can never live up to those standards. Those people either got lucky or inherited, you know, most of their success and their wealth. Some of them, yeah, worked really hard, whatever. I'm not knocking celebrities or anything like that, but it's just, it is so useless to compare yourself to these people that it's, it is dangerous. And it's, it's unfortunate that we are in a situation where that is the norm, Mm -hmm. that you have access to all these people and you have access to their highlight reel. Like that's Instagram, that's Twitter, that's, that's most social media that's what we're all seeing. Like all these dietitians that post stuff about how much money they make or how good they're doing or whatever. Like, you didn't, it's not a useful thing to compare yourself to them. Yeah. In, in like how much money they're making because, you know, there's a lot that you didn't see and there's a lot you don't know. And you, you're just not seeing their struggle. Yeah. You know?
1: And you don't know people's starting point too. And that's, that's one of the things with like all those business books too. Like, I mean, even you mentioned it with like celebrities is like, how do you know what people have inherited and like how well off they might have been when they started, which is then a totally different starting point from somebody else. And then it's like, you're comparing your success to somebody else when you've started at very different points, um, on this journey of what that looks like. And then it's, again, you're not measuring up to what you determine as this like success from somebody else who might be, again, completely unrealistic. Um, but that trap, it's it feeds... We talked about the imposter syndrome, um, like that you'll never measure up to something and like that insecurity. Yeah, like I'll, all, I'll
0: leave a card on YouTube and a link for that if anyone's interested in that. It's just, a good topic to explore. It is a really serious problem when you start doing things on your own, especially.
1: And it like all ties into this like comparison trap too. You start to like look at what other people are doing. You feel like you're not doing enough and oh, I don't know enough. And then there's other people. And it's just like this whole spiral of kind of negativity that... Again, you're comparing yourself to somebody else and there's so many factors that skew your your experience from somebody else's and again, like you're just seeing these highlight reels a lot, too.
0: There's some stuff to think about with success and your satisfaction with what you're doing in terms of your business or your lifestyle and what you have. There are some things that have been really useful for me to consider. We just I just said this to you not too long ago. We just got some cotton candy grapes. And I was eating grapes. And I mentioned, and this is true, that these used to be a symbol of royalty, that only the wealthiest people in society ate grapes. And it's it's funny, but it's true that even the the working class that's you know considered lower class in, in the first world, we eat like kings and queens did hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, the quality of life today, there's a lot to feel there's a lot to feel gratification for. In terms of like, there's a lot to feel gratitude for today with with how things are. And it, you know, if it's funny, there are celebrities and wealthy people who are depressed. Yeah. And I mean, you see celebrities and people who are, are fabulously wealthy committing suicide. It just it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. So you know, if if you're getting started with your business, like that got really deep and dark all of a sudden. But I'm just as a basis for comparison it's just not useful because there's there, you have no reference point for, for what they've done and, and who they are. Yeah. And if you're starting your business and you feel like a failure because you don't have X, Y, and Z, you should reevaluate your goals and take yeah. a minute to think about everything you do have. You know, it's useful to do that. I yeah.
1: Think. And I think like you mentioned a good point about like, you know, money, it's not necessarily buying happiness. Um, and so even like, I really hate the whole notion of like looking at money for success for private practice, because when you first start your practice, you're not going to be making probably a lot of money because you might not have a lot of clients. And as you're building it, but kind of looking at these other successes, like what that actually looks like for you. And and, and this is like what I talk about with clients for weight (laughs) is to not focus on like this number of being a certain weight, but on the habits and the things that you're building and the building the foundation, that's kind of, kind of the same thing you want to think about with like a building a practice or, um, anything with your career is not necessarily thinking about like the number and the money, but what are you really looking for? Are you looking for more flexibility? Are you looking like what kinds, you know, what things are you actually looking for outside of money? Um, and kind of thinking about those successes and defining what that looks like for you. And,
0: it's a huge mistake to focus on money. Once you get certain once you get beyond a certain point with uh, household income, your your income to happiness ratio becomes largely skewed. And that's another thing that ties into to comparisons. There's a lot of people who think they need to earn a certain amount of money and have a a certain um, type of house and or car, the whole keeping up with the Jones Joneses thing that's very real. and if if you make enough money in your practice, and you do enough with it and it allows you certain things, certain freedoms or certain opportunities, then it, it, it makes no difference how many clients you have, how much money you make. That's not what this is for. Yeah. It's about how it contributes to your life.
1: Yeah. And something I want to say, because I often feel like this too, and we've said this before, like I, I teach full time. I really enjoy teaching. I did the practice full time for a couple of years and then fell into teaching and I really like it. Um, and so I do that full time and I still have my private practice. Um, but I started to feel like, you know, am I a successful private practice, you know, dietitian anymore? I
0: remember this struggle. I remember <laughs> you going through this existential crisis.
1: Because <laughs> yeah, it was, I defined myself as I'm going to leave my full time job and I'm going to start a private practice. And then I did. And then I went and got a job. <laughs> and it's, you know, <laughs> one thing with, I mean, I, and I, I almost feel like I have to explain myself sometimes and I don't, you know, need to explain myself to anybody. Um, I have to explain that I like teaching and that, you know, it is good money, but I enjoy I enjoy being in a classroom. I like creating lesson plans. I like I like that kind of thing. And then I, I still have my practice. I do all the things that I love with that, and I'm able to kind of niche down and, and work with clients. And then I bring that into the classroom, too. And it's almost like sometimes when I'm talking to other people about private practice, they're like, oh, you can then leave your full-time job. And it's like, that's not what I... And I start to think like, am I not successful anymore because I'm, you know, I have to leave my full-time job to be successful as a private practice dietitian? And um, yeah. That's
0: some real stuff right there. That's the meat of it right there. We should have led with that.
1: I probably should have loved You it. were a
0: full-time <laughs> private practice dietitian for like two or three years. Yeah. And then you found you on a whim took a class on at college.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: were surprised by how much you enjoyed it. Took another class or two, mm-hmm. kept taking classes as, as a part time, like an adjunct college instructor. Yeah, and then there was a full time opening, and you enjoyed working with the college so much that you took that job. Yeah, and then you took on all this extracurricular stuff and got involved in in uh, boards or like uh, it's all kinds of certification and like all yeah. these. You sat on on committees and like you you got into the thick of it with the college
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you found something you liked. You didn't abandon your practice.
1: No. You, I, at one
0: point, you stopped taking on new clients or you limited yourself. You kind of dialed it back. But that's one of the things that's great about a private practice is you have the freedom to do that.
1: Yes. And that's, yeah. And that's, you know, with the college, I started taking on things like assessment. I just, like, didn't think I'd ever start doing, like, things that involve, like, assessment and learning goal, like, all of that stuff. And it's like, and if I would have not taken this opportunity originally I would never found this job and yeah sure I would have still been in private practice maybe full-time but I really enjoy teaching and I also feel like that makes me a better private practice dietitian too because I mean they all just kind of feed into one each other but but yeah it's like you know I, I dial up the practice I dial it down I take on new clients I don't take on new clients I refer out to other dietitians and that's what I love about being in private practice is I can do whatever I want with it, and and scale up or scale down, and change directions with it, and not have to really worry about someone telling me I can or can't do things. And then I still, you know, am teaching, and that's the thing that I really enjoy doing as well. And so, you know, being able to define what that looks like for you in terms of success is,
0: yeah. Just a disclaimer. Felicia is a full-time college instructor, but we're not going to pretend that you're not also working in your business as much as or more than a lot of people who are full-time. Yeah. We don't have kids. No. <laughs> uh, for and, what it's worth, yeah. I, we're married. It's maybe not explicit, but you don't have a lot of family obligations right now. Mm-mm. And you're able to basically hold down two full time jobs. Yeah. You, and I'm not going to talk about your income, but you, the money you make with your practice is often that of uh, someone who's full time.
1: Yeah. And that's something too that, you know, one of the things that I said is I would never go back to like a full time nine to five job. And that's, that's, Part of why I love teaching so much is I liked teaching, but it wasn't this like structured nine to five thing. And it was very flexible. I have a lot of flexibility with curriculum and what I do and how I teach that's what I was looking for. And that's what I also wanted with the practice. And so being able to have that and I don't have to teach in the summer. I do because it's it's pretty easy to teach in the summer and I'm not teaching a lot of classes that I can dial up the practice. We can create more content. I can, you know, also have some downtime too. And But I'm able to like dial up how many clients I see in the, the summer months. I can work on projects, do more stuff for you know, this aspect of, you know, my dietitian journey. And then in the school year, I'm focused on that. I'm still seeing my clients, but it's, you know, a little more spaced out. I'm not doing as much in terms of like on the back end. Um, but that's, yeah.
0: Success for you has changed over the years. Yes. when you When you first finished school and you got your first job, that was a massive success. That was a huge win for you. Yeah. When you were working and you started your business and you were able to do both for a while, getting the business off the ground and getting some clients, getting in as an insurance provider, a massive win, mm-hmm. huge success. Then when you decided to scale up the business and leave the job and you were able to do that successfully for a couple of years, where it was your only source of income and you more than made ends meet, you, you were doing great. That was a massive win. Yeah. Then you stumbled on a teaching. Yes. And you really enjoyed it. And now your version of success, what you are doing that is, you being successful is you're able to balance both of those separate careers with each other. You're able to teach a full time course load and still maintain a full time client load essentially. Yeah. You're just really good at time management and being efficient and the skill sets, the skill set you have is really just we have another podcast we just did on relevant skills for private practice. Felicia has those times a thousand, which is why she's able to balance teaching full time and doing our practice to the extent, because you still have like, how many clients, active clients do you have in your practice?
1: Active? Uh, I mean, I see everyone's all spaced out now because there are a lot of <laughs> like follow-ups the way it works, but like just, what do we mean, July? Like I have 25 clients scheduled for this month. And that's- See, that that's a full client load,
0: in my opinion. Like if you think about the numbers and like the income and stuff, if you're seeing like 20 or 30 clients a month and probably more other months- and less other months. I think that's a full, I don't don't know. I feel out to see how that's not a full-time private practice to some people.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, and that's again, where it's like, you got to figure out what's going to work for you. I, I, at one point had seen, I had seen 30 clients in a month and it was just like, it was just way too many. Like I felt burned out. I just, it was not what I've, you know, and I know dieticians, you see like 20 clients in a week and like more power to you. But I, felt burnt out. Well, down. they're not <laughs> full-time
0: teachers probably either.
1: No. Um, but that's even, what I mean. Yeah. And there's certain dietitians who will say like, I see one or two clients a week and sometimes my weeks are like that too. Like I usually block my clients. Like I don't have any clients scheduled next week cause I have other stuff that I'm doing and it's, but that's, doesn't mean that I'm not successful because I don't have a client during the week and that's.
0: But though your client load, there's an ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. I imagine in your peak of just being in the practice full time you, those numbers looked very different. And yes. you had group classes where you would see like, you know, 10 or 20 people in one shot.
1: Yeah. Like what what my mix of like what I was doing in the month was very different. Like when I was just doing the practice, I was teaching, uh, I was doing the cooking classes once a week, um, uh, like a live cooking class in front of like people in a room. And then I was doing, um, I had the one-on-one sessions that I was doing. And then I was also doing like um, on-site um, uh, group classes as well for, for a couple of businesses. I had contracts that I ran every couple weeks. I would do like a four-week block or a six-week block. So I had all, I had different income streams in the business. It wasn't just the one-on-one clients.
0: Huge difference. So when you yeah. were full time and that was your main focus
1: mm-hmm.
0: now that it's kind of like it's not it's not really like your side hustle as much as it is like still something you do and take seriously and it's like a a legit job that has some serious income, but you you don't really do those those group class. You don't do the cooking classes anymore. No, and you don't like really do the group stuff as much, right? No,
1: it's like um, more. I actually do less of the group stuff and more webinars for some of those companies instead. So
0: yeah, yeah, and you're doing some speaking engagements here and there too now. Yes, so your your focus has shifted, but these things change over time. There is no single immovable target that you shoot at to determine whether or not your practice is a success. Yeah. Things are going to change. You right now watching listening, you may start a private practice, you may ramp it up like crazy, do it a ton and then maybe you start a family mm-hmm. and you scale it back and suddenly it's something you only do like 10 hours a week. That doesn't mean you're not successful in that situation. Yeah. If you're able to to, you know, do everything you want to do, that is success. Mm-hmm. And this will change as that does.
1: Yeah
0: do we have any final words? I don't know. I feel like we're, we kind of hit a cap there. Anything, what, what did we not talk about?
1: Um, I think a lot of what we talked about is, you know, the idea that you should be compare, you shouldn't be comparing yourself to others. But I think something that you mentioned was, you know, the social media aspect and the highlight reel and all that. I think something to ask yourself is like maybe what's triggering like anxiety or this comparison um, when you're thinking about success, you know, if you're seeing somebody post about it on social media or a certain account that is kind of making you feel unsure about what you're doing, um, kind of identify those things and maybe not follow that person, which sounds very simple and, and like, oh, well, that makes sense. Um. But you might not even realize it, like, if you're thinking about it. And I, again, talk to my clients about this, too. Like, if you're finding people on social media that are making you anxious about where you are in your journey, um, maybe don't follow those people anymore.
0: Um, Unless they inspire you. But if they just make you feel anxious, yeah, get rid of it.
1: Yes. <laughs> so figure those things out. And then also, um, you know, again, really define what success is means to you and think about the values like what you value in life you know and and we talked about like time and family um and know that success is going to change and even think about like instead of thinking about it as like success quote-unquote like goals and accomplishments you know kind of like these markers along the way you know being able to bill insurance being able to have a client like one client you know define like all these little kinds of things and not just you know Okay, have a private practice. But what does that look like for you? And what do you want to be able to do with having a practice? Do you want to, you know...
0: It's similar to how you recommend clients achieve goals.
1: Yes. Very right?
0: We're like they have a weight loss goal mm-hmm. and they have to like take baby steps and like get little wins and have like monthly... Like they have a yearly goal or maybe a, uh, a six-month goal. But then they also have a three-month goal and a, and a one-month goal and like a, a weekly goal and a daily goal. Yes. Like having those... And then hitting those is success.
1: Yeah, and even like, you know, I mentioned vision at one point, but that's, that's exactly what I do with my clients for like nutrition as we talk about like what their wellness vision looks like. And again, not just weight loss, you know, vision, but like what do they want to be able to do? And it's like they want to have more energy. They want to be able to run around with their grandkids. They want to, and they, they list all these things that again, maybe weight is a part of that, but they focus, they want all these other things to come from. You know that journey, and so the same thing applies with private practice. You know, why do you want a private practice? Is it to have more time? Is it to, you know, be more flexible with what you're doing and be able to run certain programs or niche down or help a certain population? It really define what those kinds of things look like for you, and and know again that that can change, um, and be okay with that changing. And um, and then it, you mentioned something really important about gratitude and being able to focus on what you do have. I think that's also really big. Part of this too is sometimes we get so trapped up onto what everyone's doing and what we maybe don't have and um, that can really help is focusing on what you do and having um, people often recommend like a gratitude journal but can often shift your mindset a lot too.
0: Yeah, I think if people come into this thinking about money and that being their main focus, I think they're doing it wrong. I think, um, and and most people who think they want money and they dream of like, you know, the the fancy six-figure income, I think what you really want is freedom. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the money is is the means of attaining freedom. And if you can attain the freedom without attaining the wealth, maybe that's the higher priority. Yeah. And if a private practice lets you do that, that's success, right? Yeah. All right. Do we want to wrap it up
1: then? Yeah, I think... I think we're I think good we here. Should, yeah. Hey, uh,
0: success as defined by those other dietitians and their links will be in the description, along with a couple of relevant episodes and videos that we've done to maybe tie into this one. But uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Thanks so much. Um, happy dietitianing. Are we going to start <laughs> that as a term? Dietitianing? Is that I, what you
1: do? I, I actually Some really, good
0: dietitianing right there.
1: I actually enjoy that. So. Yeah,
0: I'm going to start a new thing. It's going to be the new the hashtag dietitianing. All right. That's it for us at My Dietitian Journey. Thanks so much.